That's how we know, right? All right, today we begin the second part of the Gathering Storm series that addresses the challenges faced by Jewish and Christian households. We're looking at the rise of secularism that's challenged the biblical revelation and narrative and given an alternative through the three behavioral sciences, anthropology, psychology, and sociology, who give us alternatives to the theology that the scripture gives us on human origins, on diversity, on foundations of our uh, social and personal problems, and utopian solutions. Um, Post-modernity, though, has also redefined many of the modern notions of reality and truth, and that has connected to the idea of things like critical race theory and gender fluidity. Now, in the first part, I compared and contrasted the biblical notion of nations versus uh, races, which is a secular idea, the idea of oppression from both a biblical and secular perspectives, and ended with the conflicting views of gender and sexuality. In this part, we're going to look at the book, Live Not By Lies. I'm going to refer to the content of the book, but I'm not going to generally... Uh, take it chapter by chapter. It's not a review of the book. These books that we're reading are to give you background. So today, I want to introduce this, and I thought, rather than starting right in with Live Not By Lies, which is kind of a stop doing this, right? Uh, I thought I should talk about the opposite of that, which is living by truth. So I want to talk about the biblical concept of truth. I'm going to start with the language of the Bible. As you know, it's Hebrew and Greek. And the Hebrew word emet means truth. It doesn't mean truth the way we use the word truth. It really has an idea of something that is eternal and is revealed and is unchanging. It's really about the instruction of God. The Greek word, aletheia, also means truth. And if you remember, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks and Romans were religious, they weren't monotheists, but they were religious, and so they also had this idea of truth being more eternal and permanent, not just a temporal thing of the earth. So it's important for us to understand that, and that is a struggle. The struggle is that the Bible uses the words that we translate as truth, as that which is revealed by God. So Jesus in his high priest prayer in John 17 says, Lord, sanctify them, speaking of the believers, by the truth, thy word is truth. So this idea is that the word of God is what we mean by truth, not personal opinion, not um, facts, even people that use the word truth there used to use big T truth and little t truth. So <clears throat> Jesus also referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So truth from a biblical perspective is not simple reality and facts, and it's certainly not opinion. It is the revealed word of God, which can only be known by revelation. God must speak truth, or we have no way of knowing it. We have to keep this distinction between truth and what we might call accurate knowledge. 
because accurate knowledge comes from human endeavors to understand reality, and those can be tainted by perception and theory. Uh, So we want to make sure that we don't use the same word for the fact that the moon is orbiting the earth. That's correct, true in the colloquial sense of the word truth, but it's not truth in the sense that God has revealed something in that context. So in order to do that, we're going to uh, see in the book Lived on by Lies that part of the move towards soft totalitarianism, I'm going to talk more about that next week, is a replacement of biblical truth with a lie. Now this goes back to the garden, goes back to the beginning, the idea of replacing what God has said with a different perspective, which becomes a falsehood or error or a lie. So we're going to look at some passages today to try to reinforce this notion of truth in a biblical sense, because too many of us use the word truth in the colloquial sense, right? So our first text is 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And I don't know if you can control it, but it feels like the heat is going up beyond uh, reality now. Okay, great. Uh, I'm sensitive to heat. (laughs) And the heat is on. So, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, Therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Really important, John says here that we're to test the people, the ones who are talking to us, and we are to listen to those who have the spirit of truth. That's what he means when he says, greater is he that is in you, the spirit of God, than he that is in the world, which the God of this world is Satan. Um, So he says, we have the spirit of truth in us, and he is the one who inspired the word of God, and he is the one who illuminates the word of God to us as we study it and do it. And those who have the spirit of error, he says, speak from the world, they speak falsely. So what's John's test for this? How do we test the spirits? It's interesting that he says that it's about incarnation. And of course, we're in the season when we celebrate the Incarnation. Whoever does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us, so that Jesus could say, the works that I do, the Father is in me doing the works. The words that I say to you are not my words, they're the words given to me by my Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It is the revelation of truth, both in the Word 
and in the person of Jesus that is the issue. And therefore, those who believe that and hold to the word and hold to the living word are those who are of the truth. And the rest are of the world and the world has many deceivers in it. I want you to turn just one more book over to Second John. You don't see many sermons or uh, uh, discussions of the, the epistles of John. Maybe the first one, but the second and third uh, very rarely. But I, I think there's an important text here. In, first, in Second John chapter 1, the only chapter that's there, verses 4 to 11, John, the apostle uh, says this. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. Just as we have received commandment uh, to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers are out in the world, and those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and antichrist. So watch yourselves, that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in this evil deed. Now, really important, this lady that John is talking about, that the apostle is talking about, is a, uh, uh, a congregation. The elect lady is understood by many translators as this is the body, the bride of Messiah. And her children then are the members. And, and the apostle says, I'm really glad to hear that your, your children, at least some of them, are walking in truth. How does he know they're walking in truth? They're walking according to the commandments. Because walking in truth is walking in accordance with the word of God. Loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving one another. And so all of the commandments are found in this context of uh, walking in love. Walking in truth, walking in the commandments. Those are almost the same idea. So all of the commandments of the Torah... And all of the Newer Testament commandments, the one and others, are based on those three commandments. And those who walk in that truth are of God. But there are many deceivers who do not believe in the incarnation. And so, again, we see this same statement that is made in 1 John and in 2 John. But there's a warning here. And the warning is that we're to be careful of losing what we have gained and going too far by not abiding in what we have been taught. Now, what he's talking about there is beginning to believe the lies. Beginning to move from the truth towards the lie and beginning to live by lies. Again, the idea of if you're not living by lies, you're going to be living by truth. That's easy to do 
when you are surrounded only with people who are of the truth. But when you're around people who are of the lies, then it becomes difficult to do that. That's what this part of the series is going to be about. In order to do that, I need to talk about uh, this, but before I want to show you one more thing. He says, you're not even supposed to greet those who are of the lie. Now, what he means by that is you don't accept them into your house. You don't accept them into your congregation. You don't accept them into the significant aspects of your life. In other words, we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So those, our households and our congregations and our closest of relationships are supposed to be with people of the truth so that we reinforce one another in the truth. Because otherwise we can begin to slide away from that. And so we must make sure that we don't assimilate and also that we don't begin to befriend in an inappropriate way those who are of the lie. I'll talk more about those who are of the lies next week in that context. But if living according to the truth, walking in the truth, is what uh, John is saying here, we need to talk about what that means. It really means, it's the idea of walking, is the idea of behaving, the idea of living, the idea of interacting by means of the truth. So I have to talk a little bit about behavior Uh, from a biblical perspective, because it's different than what we normally think of. The behavioral sciences, anthropology, psychology, and sociology, define behavior as thought, feeling, and overt action. So the things that I'm thinking are behavior. My feelings, my emotional patterns are behavior. And my overt behavior, this walking, writing, whatever I'm doing, is, is behavior. Now, The behavior that is emotional and acts out of that can be seen. To some extent, we can infer what people are thinking from the overt behavior. But psychology and anthropology and sociology have become obsessed with the idea of feelings as authentic and as significant as an an important part of what should control our behavior to be authentic. And... So they see the connection between affect, cognition, affect, and overt behavior. Now the Bible doesn't see behavior in the same way. So I want to show you a couple of passages to give you an understanding of how behavior is used in in the scriptures. The first one's in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13. And this is really important, really something you should impress on your children. Remember that we are created from the dust of the ground and God breathed into us the breath of life so that there is an outer man, the physical us that is part of this creation And there is the inner man that is part of that breathing of life into us by God. So that there is what Paul calls the inner man and the outer man. We're intended by God to be all of that. So when we die, the body dies, the spirit goes to God 
who gave it. When we are resurrected, the spirit is re-entered into the body and the body changed so that we will be full of the new creation in our resurrected state. None of that is in the behavioral sciences, but those two components, the inner man and the outer man, are how the Bible describes behavior. So in Hebrews 4, chapter 12 and, I mean, verse 12 and 13, uh, the scripture says, the word of God, now, the word of God here is not the scriptures, it's the person of Jesus Christ, okay? The living word of God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature that's uh, hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is passing in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So he's talking about the living word of God who can discern because he will be the judge of the whole earth. He can know what's going on inside. Remember that the scripture says man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So what is the part of behavior that operates inside us, in our spirit, if you will, in the heart? It is what he says here in this passage. It is the thoughts and the intents. The thoughts and the intentions are thinking and are, if you will, planning or intentional aspect of what will turn into the overt behavior. So what is the other way that the Bible looks at behavior? Well, that's found in 1 John 3, uh, 16 to 18. So back to John. 3, 16 to 18. He says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But who, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, so his thoughts and intents are not to help him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and assure our hearts before him. Now, what's he saying? That the external behavior of the Bible is what we say and what we do. Okay? Word and deed. So, behavioral science, it's thought, feelings, and uh, overt actions. Biblically, it's thought and intent of the heart and the words and the behavior of the body. Okay? That's a difference in thinking about behavior. Now, why is that important? Well, right from the beginning, you ought to be able to say to yourself, well, what about feelings? Notice that feelings are not specific to the thoughts and intents or the words and deeds. And that's because feelings, to the best of our understanding, 
are some kind of an intersection between what we're thinking and our body state. And that's why it's easy for emotions to be deceiving. Because you can be uh, excited about something and think you're in love when you might actually be uh, feeling fear. There is a uh, famous study where they had a group of men stand around and they brought a female through that wasn't particularly attractive. She was not non-attractive. They tried to get someone that they thought looked average. And they asked the guys if they noticed her and they said yes. And then they put those same guys later on one of those bridges over a river, you know, where it's up high and you're looking down at that. And they had that same girl walk across the bridge. And they asked them if they noticed her and they said they noticed her and many of them felt attractive, attracted to her, right? What was going on? Their heart was beating faster. Their palms were a little sweaty. That was coming from the fear. I mean, this is one of the reasons why historically... Dating always took place at carnivals and Disneyland and places like that because the rides change the physiology and hopefully you'll attach it to the person you're with. Emotions are not an objective thing. They are a response to physiology and cognition trying to make sense of each other. So the Bible doesn't treat emotion as a significant part of behavior. It knows that we have emotion, but it tells us not to let it control behavior. That's why we have the verse, be angry and sin not. Because the anger of man does not work the will of God. If your emotions stifle you, they take control of you, be that fear or sadness or happiness or pursuit of pleasure, whatever it be, that drives your thoughts and intents or that drives your, your words and deeds. It's going to pull you away from living the truth. So you're, we're going to find that the majority of lies are given to us in an emotional context in order to persuade us with the feeling rather than what the truth is saying in word and in deed. So... Uh, These are important uh, concepts for us to think about. So as we look at living not by lies, we have to live by the truth. And the truth, which is that which is in accordance with God's revealed word and the incarnated word, Jesus, who is our Messiah and Savior. So what's missing in this explanation that I've given? Well, as the world grows darker... And the lies become more acceptable to the world. And again, I'll talk more about those lies next week. The truth will begin to be spoken of as evil. And we will be ultimately, if we're going to stand on the truth and live by truth, not by lies. Which is what I would have named the book. Living by truth and not by lies. The book is more about the resistance to the lies. But you're not going to be able to resist the lies if you can't hold on to the truth. And we're not talking about politics. We're talking about godly, biblically revealed truth. What's going to happen is the world is going to do one of two things. They're going to try to seduce us with the emotions of comfort and pleasure away from the truth. Or they're going to try to scare us away from the truth by the threat of suffering. 
And so suffering may come as we are challenged to assimilate or accommodate our faith towards the requirements of the world. If we're going to resist and live by truth, we may find persecution. So I want to give you one last verse, uh, and that is in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 19. The writer says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which was inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds so we can walk together in the truth, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy by the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? We know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now what's he saying? I'm going to finish reading, but what's he saying? He's basically saying, if you pull back, if you fall away, if you move away from this path of truth that we're on, there's just judgment coming for you. That's what John had warned in, in his second letter. So what he tells us then is that the pathway of truth involves suffering. So he says, Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, in other words, people mocking our faith, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. If that is, we speak up when our fellow believers are being maligned for believing the truth. Then he says, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Not sure I can get there yet. I might be able to be willing to have the seizure of my property in the name of the Lord, I'm not sure how joyful I'll be about it at this point, right? Uh, we'll talk about that. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. 
For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. My righteous one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now this warning is a little bit scary and can make us focus on that. And I don't want us to focus on that. So I want you to listen to the last verse here. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving or the saving of the soul. In other words, we are those who are going to live by truth, walking in truth, as John says, and we are not going to live by lies. So, this is this suffering that, that the writer to the Hebrews talks about is normative for our fellow believers throughout history. But it's virtually unknown in the American church. But I think things are changing. And if we are to hold firm, we must not live by lies, but by the truth. Not the truth of science, though we must be aware of accurate knowledge in science. Not the truth of reason, though we should be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. But the truth of the written word and the resurrected word of God. That's going to be a struggle. Because most of us have not had, at least in my lifetime, I grew up in a time when it was almost easier to be a Christian than to not be a Christian. That's changing to where now it's beginning to be more difficult to be a Christian living by faith, even within the church in some contexts. So we're going to have to learn how to not live by lies and live by the truth. And I think the scripture gives us a way to do that, not only individually, but communally. And I believe the communal aspects of this are particularly important. And that's what we're going to look at next. So next time I'm going to look at the struggle about living by truth versus living by lies. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.